everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Input 2. I am your host, Tanner Kinney, and with me today, I have my frequent guest and uh, good good friend. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Trevor Sheffield. I'm a frequent guest and a good friend. Yeah, it's true. These are true facts. And <laughs> yeah, because this is, this is the... Th- I guess technically, because the, the it chapter two never the episode is the the lost episode of the show. Listen, we don't talk about the clown. We don't. Okay? Clown bad. Clown bad. Clown, clown movie bad. <laughs> clown bad. We don't talk about the other clown movie. Clown bad. That's the. I think. Yeah, I think. I think I actually already said clown bad, but I'm getting off topic already, which is a great start for this podcast. But no, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Heartland International Film Festival, the 28th edition of it, the 28th annual Heartland International Film Festival in Indianapolis, Indiana, which we were given press passes to, you know, by some very gracious uh, people. It's pretty slick. Yeah, we we've, this is our third year covering the event for Byte, and uh, it was, you know, there there's some ups and downs. A lot of questionable things happened, a lot of... Uh, we got lost a couple times, but at the end of the day, Heartland's a great experience, and we're going to be talking about some of these movies we've seen, because Heartland is, for those who don't know, Heartland is an independent film festival that takes films from around the world, uh, created by independent creators of any age range, because they have some student films, uh, some films from high schoolers, one of them even won a substantial award yeah, this year. Yeah, um... I don't remember the name. I don't remember the name of it, but it was like, uh, it was a film directed by a 19 year old from Carmel. Uh, he or they uh, or she, I don't remember. Uh, they, they, whomstever, uh, won an award for their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, then some of the shorts had some student films. The short collections had student films, and then you have like big budget productions like Jojo Rabbit was uh, had a special showing, and Waves, A twenty fours Waves yeah, had a special yeah. showing. Uh, a lot of other big studios come in. So it's not just like smaller productions. You you have the big dogs coming in, which is really interesting uh, to see all that come together in one place. And it only happens in Indianapolis, Indiana, the, the best place on the planet. Shannon, let's not, edit, <laughs> let's not editorialize your feelings about Indianapolis. Look, I love, I love this state that I live in, as we know. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is each Heartland has a different theme to it, yeah, yeah. and the people who evaluate these movies and pick them for the contest, because you have to go through a, an approval process where screeners will screen your movie and then essentially give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and then you are like, I think, I don't remember how uh, Emily described it, uh, former Input to host Emily Rubin, uh, how she described it, but it was like, it was either a thumbs up, thumbs down, or like a basic scoring process, where they give it a score, and then uh, then it just gets sent back to Heartland, and if you get a good enough score, you get into the festival. And one of the things they grade on is how well they fit into the theme and like the 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 values of Heartland. Heartland, let's just say. And the theme this year was a bold cinematic space. Bold, a bold cinematic space. I'm only keeping that time in mind as we talk about the various different films we've seen. Because between the two of us, we saw like. A lot of movies will go over them. Oh, but. no. Uh, speaking of movies, before we get into that, 
should we discuss uh, the little uh, the little treat they gave us in front of each movie to yes. help reinforce that bold yes. cinematic state? Yes, and uh, before each screening, they had somebody come out. Uh, one of the volunteers love the volunteers at Heartland, and they were like, "We have a short film." Uh, that is here to represent the idea of a bold cinematic space. And they gave us extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial, which is a little animated short. Uh, it's it's a guy who's on a spaceship, the airlocks open and he has to close the airlock. He gets hit in the head. He remembers he has a family and then he gets his second win to close the airlock. But then it cuts to aliens and they're eating popcorn in a movie. <laughs> Watching a movie. And they can only say, but. Now, I, reg- I started my Heartland viewing experience by watching the short films. And I had initially thought that this was an unannounced short. You know, this definitely didn't get old <laughs> over the course. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's certainly a large amount of effort put into this, especially seeing as it's animated. But it's like, oh. Yeah, it compared to last year. Uh, last year had a really nice, you know, it was, qu- it was very quiet, low key short film. It was quiet. Uh, it was nice, heartwarming, and it set up for a lot of the movies, especially the ones that I saw last year. A lot of them fit into that sort of f- idea that was shown in the short film. This year, the short film was just kind of like whatever. I, it, it definitely got annoying uh, towards like. And that's not any discredit to the film, the short film, because it was fine. It was when, lo- you ha- when you have to see it like fifteen times in the course of two weeks. <sighs> when you see it so many times, it gets a little insufferable, to say the least. But that's just the short in front of it, and it was still fine. I didn't hate it entirely, at least initially. I didn't hate it. I thought I was like, "Oh, that's cute," but it can only be cute for so long. And maybe there will be more films where we talk about that. And uh, for the most part, uh, <clears throat> just so the audience is aware, we are just going to be going to do like a back and forth conversation discussion of some of the films we saw. And very rarely did we actually see the same film. It was only like three examples. And one of them technically doesn't count, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Yeah, let's, let's save that for a little later. Because I need to get it off my chest. Uh, but no, uh We're just going to be doing a back-and-forth conversation of some of the things we watched, and we're going to be keeping a few questions in mind. And also, I put in here that I don't really want to go in-depth on too too many of the short films. I'd say, like, for between the two short collections that you watch, pick one from each that you want to specifically talk about, if you can do that. Just so we don't, because I don't want this podcast to go on for a full, like, two hours. Just to clarify, we have a copy of the uh, Heartland Film Festival, uh, the 28th Heartland Film Festival guidebook with us. Yes. So if you hear the sound of flapping paper. Enjoy the ASMR. (laughs) Book ASMR. (laughs) Wonderful. That's what we... (laughs) Mother, I cannot (laughs) click I cannot click the book. Mother. Oh, we'll be getting to that later. Oh, right. Yeah, that's one of the movies we saw. But we'll, we'll save that for the end. <laughs> yeah, so here are some questions we're going to be keeping in mind, and I just want to propose to see you so you know what I'd like to keep in mind. I'll probably, like, as a refresher, I'll scroll back up, or you can scroll back up. What is the goal of the film? Mm-hmm. Does the film achieve its goal? How are the performances? How are the production elements of the film? And does this film work within a bold an idea of a bold cinematic space? And if you screen this movie, would you approve it? 
what what would you have given it if you screened the movie? And we'll like give a little scoring thing. Maybe I'd say a thumbs up, thumbs down, but that's a little more visual thing, which I do for my bite at the movie show that happens very occasionally. Much like input two, but that's beside the point. So we're gonna get started just because my throat's a little dead. Uh, Trevor, yeah. why don't you talk about uh, the first one of the first? Uh, talk about the shorts. Okay. Uh, a couple of the shorts. So uh, I'm just gonna pick two shorts, one from each of the uh, two shorts winners categories. Okay. Uh, the first one I want to call out. Uh, well, not call out, but from uh, indie shorts winners one. It's a little ditty called Ian, a moving story. It was directed by Abel Goldfarb. It was the Audience Choice Award for Animated Short. And it is one of the most... I genuinely do not know how to describe it. It was moving. Yeah, it was moving. Uh, Let me just read you the description from the book. Okay. Ian was born with cerebral palsy. All he wants to do is make friends, although it seems impossible to achieve when discrimination and bullying keep him away from his beloved playground. However, this young boy is determined and won't give up easily. Now, this was based off the true story of an actual boy named Ian, who is not a moving story, but actually a real boy. Wow, really? Palsy, yes. Wow, that's crazy. And in a lot of ways, the film on a technical mm. level is very interesting. And it, it, uh, it tries a metaphor that kind of... Well, literally exposes the cracks in what it's trying to do. Because all of the characters in this movie are made out, or the short, are made out of what I can only describe as decorative sidewalk pavement. It's it's like a, it's not like ceramic, but it's like. um, It's like, I have a picture with me, but none of you can see. It's like a a tessellation sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, It's like, you know how in Inside Out, all the characters have like these weird particle effects about them? Yeah. It's kind of like this, but hard. Okay. And so whenever Ian deals with discrimination, he he doesn't feel so good, Mr. Stark. And he gets, like, he disassembles into a chain link fence and then reassembles on a wheelchair. And it goes back and forth until a bunch of other kids on the playground are able to disassemble and reassemble and then they break down the fence. Very artsy. Yeah, it's very artsy. And while it does sound very good on paper... It doesn't really work in execution. Yeah. it's. I won't deny that it's bold and it's cinematic, but it's like it kind of loses the core of its story. In yeah, sense. that's fair. What about the second short uh, collection? Uh, second short. Uh, change of pace. Uh, hard to place. Uh, the audience choice for Indiana Spotlights, directed by M.D. Neely. From the Indie Shorts uh, Film Festival that happens over the summer every year. Right. This is from Indie Shorts Winners 2. The description. When it's no longer safe to stay in their home, two young kids make a desperate escape and attempt to live on their own based on a true story. Now, of this collection, I do feel that it was extremely well made. The kid actors, for the most part, did a very good job. But it goes to some places that it really did not go to or did not need to go to mm-hmm. like there's one sequence where it's a it's a brother and a sister okay. and the brother has to go back to the family house to pick up some decorative plates that his mom left and so the bad dad he nearly catches the kid the boy so the boy hides in the sister's bed the dad thinks that he's the sister and it gets a little creepy We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. But yeah. 
you can you you audience surely know what we mean by a little creepy. Yeah. And like I said, I won't deny that it's bold. It's bold. <laughs> it's bold. Maybe a little too bold at but, times. But you know, it was it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, great. So we're gonna move on. Uh, just to like do a back and forth, I'm gonna talk about the first movie I saw, All right. which I kind of just picked at random. Uh, the first movie I wanted to see didn't happen until later in the day, and I was already there, and I was like, well, I might as well see something. So I ended up watching Zulu Summer, which I'm going to pull up in the official selections. Where the heck is it? Wait a minute. Oh, there it is. It was literally the last entry. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm just going to read the description here. It's from directors Joseph Litz- Litzinger and Eric Schrader. Uh, this is a documentary feature. After receiving a suspicious email from an African prince, a radio DJ in small-town Montana forges an international alliance that will change the lives of people continents apart. So this is a documentary about uh, the Zulu prince and a couple of uh, his like retainers or friends or whatever uh, coming to a small town in Montana. Uh I have my notes with me. Butte. Butte, Montana. Butte is interesting in that it's your typical American small town. Like, when they showed shots of the city, it's like with the town. It gave me a lot of flashbacks to where I'm from. Uh, very typical small town America. You know, not necessarily anything too special. And essentially, it's a cultural exchange documented over the course of the movie. And it's interesting. It's very heartwarming. It's very feel-good. Uh, probably, like, the only feel-good movie I saw at Heartland this year. Like, wait, wait. I, I won't bring this up until later, but wasn't there a movie on the last day we were there? Didn't didn't that movie warm your heart? No. No, it did not. But, yeah, uh, it's very heartwarming. A very nice little documentary piece. It's not the most fascinating. It is carried a lot by the personalities they depict and less by its editing and the structure of it. It's I I would recommend watching it, but it wasn't anything like too bold and cinematic. That's about it. Zulu Summer's fine. It was good. Would you like to talk about the uh another movie saying it, you know, if we want to go like a 2 by 2 kind of thing? Uh no, because the shorts were kind of just like their own thing. Ah. So I was going to go throw it back to you for we can start with Where We Disappear. Ah, where was, that, we... was that the first of the two you saw that day? Uh, yes. Okay, yes. I thought I remembered properly. One moment. Where We Disappear. Um, the feature directing debut of one Simon Fink. The description reads, After committing a crime to protect her son, Anastasia is sentenced to 12 years in a Soviet prison camp. Her arrival upsets the balance between the inmates. In, the night of, in, a, in a night of backstabbing and shifting alliances, she must find a way to escape and discover the hidden truth to her survival. It was an official selection uh, for narrative feature. And I really liked it. it uh, before the show came on, Fink came out and said that, you know, it's very cerebral, very much focused in, you know, kind of bending the mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I definitely got a lot out of this. I felt that the performances were extremely good and it feels like there was a lot of effort putting in uh, put in to make this feel like something on par at least on a production aesthetic uh production perspective with like a triple a a24 kind of feature 
Oh, okay. It was very bold. It, it had a primarily all, almost all female cast, which I really liked. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, it you're gonna have a female cast. Where's your movie with an all male cast? <laughs> <laughs> Insert the IGN tweet. <laughs> but uh, sorry, oh I just de- derailed you there. But yeah, it's I really liked it. Um, it's very it's a very isolated film. It's very it only, it really only takes place in one location. And you know it's it's bold, it's cinematic. That seems to be the reoccurring comments today, yeah. but it's true. It's a bold cinematic space. Yeah, a lot of these films did fit in with the theme. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. Uh, one that I'm not quite sure about uh, is the next film that I saw on that day, which was like Sunday. It was the first Sunday of the festival. Yeah. Uh, Lucky Grandma, mm. by director Sacy. Uh, I'm butchering this name, uh, Stacey Seeley, uh, which is a narrative feature set in New York City, an ornery chain, an ornery chain smoking Chinese grandma goes all in at the casino, landing herself on the wrong side of luck and in the middle of a Chinatown gang war. Grandma, grandma starts a gang war is what this film is. Did you bring cookies? No, uh, because grandma is probably a former gangster what's interesting about lucky grandma is that how it tells its narrative first of all it's like 100 percent uh asian asian cast uh aside from like the the grandson's friend who's just like trashy white girl (laughs) for lack of a better term they do Fortnite dances and it's funny the grandma's just horribly confused watching it uh i mean aren't we all yeah so boomer boomer get out but this is a good boomer <laughs> grandma is a good boomer uh she essentially she lives on her own and she's trying to get like pushed back into going to live with uh her son and their family mm. but she wants to live on her own but she can't pay to live on her own because her husband uh as you learn later in the film kind of screwed her over uh with his i mean probably an untimely death but it did not help her uh so she goes to the casino because she, at a fortune teller, tells her that she'll be very lucky on a specific day. Uh, she is lucky until the very end of her trip to the casino, where she loses everything. Oh. But on the bus ride home, she's sleeping, she's uh, sitting next to a gang member who has a, who has a duffel bag full of money, and he dies of a heart attack on the bus. <laughs> so Grandma takes his, his bag <laughs> full of money... And she goes and buys herself a nice chandelier, and is then hunted down by a rival gang. This feels like you're you're getting me ready for the plot of like a '50s Disney movie. Yeah, and then and then she hires this like big beefy like Chinese guy to come in and like be her bodyguard, and he's hilarious. He's one of my favorite characters in this because he plays off of Grandma really well. Grandma herself. Uh, I don't remember the any of the performers' names. I guess I should have looked that up. Uh, Oops. All of them do a fantastic job uh, portraying their characters. It really is entertaining. Up until the end, where it kind of takes way too far of a dip into the thriller aspect of it, mm-hmm. where, gra- just spoiler, uh, Grandma's grandson gets kidnapped. Grandma goes to, like, strike a deal with them. And essentially like she gets shot and it 
the, the we don't know if she's like carried out by her bodyguard and the grandson's there and then it just cuts to grandma living with the family and there's not a whole lot of closure it's not it was good i really did enjoy it it just i don't know i, I wasn't too keen on that change in tone that happened so quickly it was a little bit of whiplash but it was fine so let's move on to your next p- uh p- picture mm. uh philophobia oh philophobia mm-hmm. oh this one i'm looking forward to talking about this was actually a world premiere at this year's heartland yep uh narrative feature official selection directed by mr guy davies uh, <clears throat> Set in the rolling hills of the English countryside, Philophobia is a picture of a small-town adolescence. One week of school remains for Kai, an aspiring writer, and his friends. How they choose to spend this time will cost one of them their life and leave them all changed forever. Ooh. It's not as spooky as I'm making it out to be. Oh. Halloween. It was yesterday. Yes, it was. It is currently November It is currently Thanksgiving time. Who and cares about Thanksgiving? I anyways. liked Philophobia. I thought it was really good. Um, it's has very strong, believable uh, performances. Um, I forgot his name, but one of the friends of the main character is absolutely fantastic. Um, I really liked ha- the cinematography. At times it had this kind of dreamlike, almost kind of ethereal aesthetic to it, and I really liked that. There were some aspects of the movie that I do kind of feel could have been better, um, largely in kind of how it handles its depiction of, fem- of its female characters. And uh, it kind of drags near the end of the third act just because it's, it establishes so much throughout the first two thirds of the movie. And of it just like it's a lot to pay off on. But that's not to say the payoff isn't bad whatsoever. All right. Uh, so this was the, did either was, uh, oh, right. There was a Q&A, but I asked you not to stay for it. Right, Because yeah, we, yeah. we were on a time crunch. But I did get his business card. Wow. Along That's with good. Mr. Finks. That's good. I think they actually... Did they retweet your review for Philophobia? I don't know. I don't... I think we act... I don't remember. I think something like that happened. <laughs> I'll, I'll look that up for you. But Thank you. Thank yeah, that was... And now we move on to my last screening of that first day that we had together, uh, which was one of the special... The special uh, presentations, if I can find it in the book. Oh boy. Uh, we'll see. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking. Uh, oh here it is. Okay. Oh. It was a special presentation of Mickey and the Bear. Mickey. Which is a narrative feature, uh, and it was at South by Southwest and it received a lot of praise at that film festival. Uh, by director Annabelle uh, at <sighs> Names. So, we we at input to pronounce names properly. Atanasio. Uh, it's April in Anaconda, Montana. Two two Montana movies in one. I was surprised to see that, but uh, and uh, it's April in Anaconda, Montana, and headstrong teenager Mickey Peck is doing what she can to keep her single veteran father afloat, navigating his mercurial moods, opioid addiction, and grief loss and grief over the loss of his wife. Secretly, Mickey fantasizes of going to college on the West Coast and finally living her life on her own terms. When Hank's controlling, jealous behavior turns destructive, Mickey must decide between familial obligation and personal fulfillment as she puts everything on the line to claim her own independence. Mm. So this is... You told me this was pretty dark. This was a dark movie. This was... It had 
it's moments of levity, which I did appreciate because there are a lot of dark movies that like uh, this year, Joker especially was an example of a movie that was unrelentingly dark. Uh, Mickey and the Bear was also dark, but it had moments of levity. It had moments of light within it, which made the dark parts of it stand out more. Uh, the main actress, uh, Camilla Mon- Morone, she does an incredible job. Uh, and same with the veteran father, James Badge Dale. Both of them, their like relationship and their chemistry, their dynamic is really really powerful and it's really moving because you can tell that she does care about her father she truly does it's just that it's really hard to care about him when he's so destructive to her and when he you know does a lot of things that ruin her life that ruins her life her relationships and mickey is not a great person herself as well she has she has her own troubles she in terms of the movie uh, she's unfaithful in her long-term relationship uh, she cheats on her boyfriend with an English exchange student. Mm-hmm. To be fair, the English exchange student is a much better person than her current boyfriend, but the point still stands. Uh, it's it's a tough movie to get through. The ending especially uh, is really, really like powerful and moving. It was one of the best films I saw at Heartland. Not my favorite. We'll get into my favorite later, but it was very good. And... The- Mm. You, oh, no, no. If you have a question to ask, feel free oh, to ask. It was going to be a dumb question. All right. Um, I do. It's like my big question here is: Was there a bear? We are no longer asking questions. <laughs> 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 no, uh, it's it's what they call a metaphor. Um, <laughs> it's what they call a metaphor. Hmm. The bear is the father. Take that in, film students. Every film class should teach this movie. No, it was a sled. It was a. <laughs> No, 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 but no, I, I, Mickey and the Bear is great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so now we move on to oh, the uh, first film we watched together. Yeah, should we tell the story about how we got to this point? It's not relevant. Okay, well. let's just sum it up as we got lost, we missed our, we got to our movie, but the projector wasn't working. So we were going to see the R word, which was a documentary. And we could not. The projector wasn't working, and the backup file they had of the movie was corrupted. Uh, everything went poorly. And so then uh, we were at an AMC. And so uh, our good friend over here, my good friend here, Tanner, he jokingly suggested, oh, well, what if we watch Gemini Because we needed to kill a few hours until our next screening at Castleton. And so then we struck upon the mother load. <laughs> Gemini Man at 1245 in 3D at 60 frames per so second. So not quite 120 frames. No, no. But it was... No theater in America can play this movie so, as, so, it, as it was intended. So Gemini Man, very briefly, because this is not a Heartland film. We just saw it during Heartland, and I thought it was nice to mention because I wanted to do an episode on it, but nobody uh, – I think that was the week I was sick, so right. we couldn't do an episode on it. We, maybe we'll come back to it later in more detail when they do like another high, high frame rate movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Gemini Man – Made me physically ill. I think the best way to describe this film is that afterwards, I had, I basically had a come to God moment, and you vomited in the bathroom. Yeah, we got to after the movie, we had to immediately drive to Castleton, and the whole time my stomach was like screaming and I was dying. We hit Castleton. I went to the bathroom and I, I did a sick, and it was not pretty. And the saddest thing is that this movie 
outside of its gimmick is just kind of a by the numbers like action film. It's very As- mediocre. Aside from the fact that young Will Smith, when you see him in broad daylight, he just looks like the Miles Morales video game model from the Spider-Man PS4 game, except they put Will Smith's face on it. It's real ugly. It's, it's not. It's not great. I would. There's a reason this movie is getting panned. It's not good and is not bold or cinematic. Well, I guess it's cinematic, kind of. But Tanner, remember when those airplanes flew at us and it was like really looked so fake. But Tanner, they made a person out of another person. That's called childbirth, Ang Lee. <laughs> this 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 podcast had a lot of people lied to you. <laughs> This podcast had a lot of peaking audio, and I'm I'm literally like you. You can see how far away from the mic I am right now. This is really sensitive right now. I don't know. They must have turned the sensitivity up. Mm, but must have been your Gemini man. Mm, mm. No, uh, but yeah, it's good. Gemini Man was a bad movie. This so was a movie we're gonna that move. made me hate movies until we watched some actual movies, which we'll get into afterwards because we got went back to we went back to the Castleton Theater. Right. Uh, and you killed some more time because your one screening was Waves later in the day. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was like, eh, my, my other screening was around the same time as Waves, but I wanted to just, like, watch something else. So I ended up watching Samir, mm. which, uh, let me pull that up real quick in our, our book here. Let me flip through. Oh, Pop Pop is dead. Weren't you going to see that movie? Yeah, yeah, but then we saw Gemini Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> the the greatest indie film. Yeah, so we saw Samir. I saw I saw Samir along with Jeremy Rogers, editor in chief of Byte. Uh, this is a narrative feature. It was a world premiere at Heartland. Uh, it has nine directors. Mm. Uh, so I'm not going to list them all, but they, it was a uh, the script was a part. Or well, the movie itself is a USC School of Cinematic Arts production, and it was made possible with funding from Warner Brothers. Uh, and it was, it's going to be distributed by Warner Brothers as well, if you're looking to pick this up, if cool. you find it interesting. Uh, a young American of Middle Eastern descent is framed in the wake of the September 11th attacks and is sent to Guantanamo Bay. Thirteen years later, with the help of a rogue CIA operative, he returns to Los Angeles under a false identity to exact revenge. Mm. This film, by its concept and how it's described here, sounds really fascinating. Really cool. This sort of like, I mean, there are tons of revenge movies, but this one was like, ooh, ooh we're going to get some political intrigue. Are we going to get political in my movies? I'm down for that. And it did. It did get political. Uh, it showed Guantanamo Bay and some of the atrocities that they committed at that institution. Uh, the writing, you can definitely tell that it's a college project. Yeah. Uh, it's gra- They're grad students, but it's still like, first of all, there are a lot of writers behind it. A lot of directors and it's mostly coherent in one whole story but there are some parts where it's like eh, eh. you can tell this is written by a different person uh when samir goes back to exact revenge what i find interesting about it is that his revenge is non-violent oh he ruins their life emotionally <laughs> the, the people who betrayed him he ruins them emotionally we need more movies like and that. financially like uh for example, and this this is getting into spoiler territory, so if you're interested, please skip forward until uh, a section where Trevor is talking, because that'll be our next movie. <laughs> uh, and you can tell that I am not Trevor, I am Tanner. <laughs> wow, this is stupid. This got really dumb for a second, but... We're in the dumb zone, everybody. Now back to Samir. Yeah, one, of the, one of the examples is that one of the people who betrayed him uh, was the son of a gov- of, the fic- of, the fi- of the fictional governor of California, uh... 
and he is doing his own run for the mayor of Los Angeles, like 13 years after uh, Samiris framed. And he's running as the Republican candidate. And he's, his, his whole platform is like, we're going to bring honesty and jobs and people back to Los Angeles. And Samir very easily discovers that he's having an affair uh, with his secretary. And uh, the guy's wife is a two-time cancer survivor. So Samir threatens to expose the secretary. So she she, uh, admits to her wrongdoing during a press conference. And his whole campaign is tanked. So it later cuts to Samir going to talk to the guy and he's like on the ground drinking and crying. He's like, I lost everything. And Samir's like, good. (laughs) This is like some mental old boy kind of stuff. Yeah, he and this is he he also does this to the the other one of the other characters. He mentally ruins them. And the third, you don't really get to see the third guy get his comeuppance, but it's very obvious that he will mm. at some point. But yeah, it was a it was a good movie. I really did enjoy it. Uh, we got some footage of it. I think Jeremy was going to write a review, but he's he's busy, so I'm not concerned about that. But yeah, it was it was good. I really enjoyed. It was bold, cinematic, uh, a lot of fun. Fun, fun is the wrong word. Uh, let's hit. Let's move on to waves oh which was one of the was it one of the i don't know if it's in the book here actually uh, i think it is it uh, might be uh but if, it, if it's not i would recommend pulling it up real quick because okay. i don't think it was one of the uh, special presentations it was like similar with jojo rabbit it was just sort of because jojo rabbit was at heartland too okay so your next movie trevor uh why don't you talk about waves okay waves this is the next big release from a24 uh, uh, it's directed by Trey Edward Schultz, who was previously known for It Comes at Night. Why don't you elaborate on what A24 is? A24 is, uh, if you've seen Hereditary, Midsummer, uh, Swiss Army Man, they've kind of... The Florida Project? Yeah, the Florida Project. They've kind of, in recent years, been coming up as kind of a mainstream indie label. They're also responsible for Moonlight, uh, Good Time with Robert Pattinson, they're known for kind of being eccentric, doing a lot of crazy stuff. They're 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 pretty rad, honestly. And, they're radical. Uh, they're radical, bruh. And then uh, we have Waves, which is a drama film. Uh, we it, unfortunately the description is in the book, so I'm reading it off the worst thing ever, the internet. <clears throat> Set against the vibrant landscape of South Florida, it traces the emo- the epic emotional journey of a suburban African-American family as they navigate love, forgiveness, and coming together in the aftermath of a loss. Now, I wrote a review about this, and a lot of my points there do stand, but after seeing Gemini Man, a movie that made me very literally hate movies, Waves reminded me that movies, shock of all shocks, could be movies. Movies are good. <laughs> it's expertly done. It, it actually shares a decent bit in common with Philophobia, with the, the main exception being that its viewpoint is very unique, in a sense. It has an almost, um, or at least a primarily African-American cast. Um, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's coming in November, 
And yeah, I, I, I don't want to talk about much more. Just to yeah, because it will be coming price. to theaters. Because it's it's fantastic. Yeah. I wholly recommend it. Oh, I, I mean, I'll probably check it out because I've liked some of their other movies, some of the other A24 projects. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited. Uh, so yeah. And now we come to uh, what I believe was the last film of that day. Uh, well, no, I already talked. Oh, oh yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your yes. big one. Uh, this film was the last film I saw. Uh, we got a. I got to talk with the director, uh, and pretty in depth. We did an interview with him, uh, which will be published on our site along with the review. Eventually, mm. <laughs> maybe even before this goes up. <laughs> I doubt that, but maybe. Uh, so yeah. So this film is called The Garden Left Behind. It is a narrative feature from uh, director Flavio Alves. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. He was a really nice guy. Really eccentric. Uh, very cool guy. I'll talk. I don't want to just gush about him, though, because I want to gush about this movie. Uh, <clears throat> the Garden Left Behind traces the relationship between Tina, a young trans woman, and Il- Elena, her grandmother, as they navigate Tina's transition and struggle to build a life for themselves as undocumented immigrants in New York City. So just by that description, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Uh, Tina is a trans woman, an undocumented worker, having to find jobs. Uh, and essentially this is, for the most part, this is a movie about the trans experience. Uh, Flavio and the screenwriter who was also at Heartland. Uh, he was, we, we did, he was part of the Q and a and the interview we did. I don't remember his name though. Unfortunately, uh, they both did an extensive amount of research and they talked to a ton of people and they spent like, I think they said they spent like three months just doing research and talking to people and preparing to write this script. Uh, they talked to members of the trans community, uh, how their interactions with like, medical workers and speech pathologists, uh, speech therapy, uh, doctors, stuff like that, people around them, the people they work for, they did a whole lot of research to make this movie as accurate as possible. And their work shines through this, this movie, this movie understands it's very powerful. It's very important. And more importantly is that this movie uh, is dedicated to then and this they show this at the end of the movie there's a little like a little splash screen and the ending of the movie as well ties into it not to reveal too much yeah you were but, telling me about it it's uh they, it's dedicated it's dedicated to uh whip tw- trans women who are victims of violence and it's like there's a huge percentage i don't remember the exact number but it's a significant percentage of trans women are victims of violence violent attacks and a lot of those women, I think it was like 95% were women of color, were trans women of color, who Tina is. And you can guess where it goes from there. Yeah, so it's really powerful. It's really strong, especially because the relationship between, like, the focuses with, like, Tina and Elena's, Eliana, I don't know how to pronounce it, as the emotional core of the movie. And the grandmother... She's clearly trying, but she doesn't understand really fully. And she even admits to this later in the movie. She doesn't understand fully what Tina is going through. She doesn't know. And that's just why she, like, for example, she dead names Tina. She'll misgender her. Uh, a whole lot of... It's it's a lot. It's a whole lot to unpack. And we at my 
the, it, within our own community, we have uh, several trans folk, and seeing this movie and especially the ending of it, uh, I was in tears. I cried for a solid ten minutes during the Q and A, where I had to like download a voice recorder app on my phone while crying as the director and the screenwriter were moving up to the top to the front of the theater. I was like, ah! yeah, it was so good. It was. If this movie gets distributed, which I hope it does, I highly recommend you check it out. This is, this was my movie of the, this was my movie of the show, which uh, was a later topic, but I just, you know, spoil it now. This was my movie of the show. Uh, Mickey and the Bear is like a, it was a second, but honestly, it wasn't even a close second. Uh, There is a pretty sizable gap between how much I love this movie and anything else. It, it It tells a story that needs to be told. And I think if anything fits in as bold in a cinematic space, it is this. Now let's get on to something oh. that is, and for the record, The Garden Left Behind won the Social Impact Narrative Feature Award. That's good. Our first award winner that we're talking about here, uh, I believe. I double-checked. And so now we're getting on to the final day of our screenings. Yes, the, and, uh, <laughs> where they showed a lot of finalists. This was a day where they showed finalists in at the Newfields uh, uh, Museum. And it's also one of the few times where we actually saw a movie together. Yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't one of the few times where we saw a movie together and we both liked it. And we both enjoyed it. So let's move on to a bold cinematic space. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of the finalists that was there, uh, a little ditty called Greener Grass, directed by Jocelyn DeBauer and Don Lebui, based off a short film. A deliciously twisted comedy set in a demented, timeless suburbia where every adult wears braces on their straight teeth. Couples coordinate meticulously pressed outfits, and coveted family members are swapped in more ways than one in this competition for acceptance. Comedy contains strong language. Bad. (laughs) Bad. Boring. Not boring. Boring's a boring is the last thing I would describe this movie as. At the very least, to this film's credit, uh, we walked in like a couple minutes late. We so were we only missed, we were only a few minutes late. We literally got in as soon as the title card. Yeah, came we up. missed the very opening, and we even talked to someone after the after the movie, and we confirmed that we missed very little. Something that's already just like like reestablished in the next scene. So, yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, this movie, oddly enough, it feels like something like it was made for me. It's like that Junji Ito, this hole was made for me. And that's largely because the movie, it feels like an extended sketch off of that Tim Robbins show on Netflix. I think you should leave. And, you know, for the first five minutes or so, it works. It, it takes you by surprise. It's like, oh, you know, oh, they're doing like a full movie oh, based th- off this. This is weird. And then this is strange. I kind of like it. It keeps going. And it's like, there's a few zingers that work. And then there's a plot twist, like, roughly halfway through the movie that absolutely kills. And then it just, like, it just kind of goes nowhere. This is 95 minutes. It was one of the longer movies either of us saw at Heartland. Uh, 95 minutes, a full feature. And it is weird. And the directors claim in an interview that it's not weird for the sake of weird. Everything has a purpose. But I really want to pick at their brains then to figure out what the hell is some of the purpose of some of this dumb bull hockey that yeah. comes in this movie. No, I can understand the purpose of some of what they're going through because I, I study a lot of film. It's part of the reason why you see so much philosophical nonsense in my reviews for movies like Wonder Park. 
Yeah. But it's like this is this is philosophical nonsense for certain nonsense especially. But the thing is, is that, but beyond the subtext, there's not really any. There's no sub- text. Subtext. There, there, there's no text no, either. No, the text is nonsense. The subtext is trying to commentate on our on adult yeah. society and the facade of being professional. But beyond that, there's no greater cohesive narrative unit yeah. to tie all of that criticism into each other. Yeah, there's no like big revelation. There's no major twist. It just keeps going. It's just weird. It's consistently weird. It's unrelentingly weird. And And it gets to the point where it stops being funny and it starts being infuriating. It starts being one of those things where it's like, can you just, for one second, like, take a moment, take a breather, ground yourself, show me anything that can was like comprehensible in my my tiny pea brain. Like, I'm technically a film student. I'm filming media studies. And you think I would like be like this is one of those movies that you know film students say they get all real like you said they get real excited about it they get like oh yes subtext oh 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 in a way i i do commend the filmmakers for committing to (coughs) what they were doing here and just being so unrelentingly weird that it almost feels like an endurance test like a barometer for oddness but it's it's chaos theory. It's it's the Jurassic Park question. They ask themselves if they could instead of if they should. And I didn't like it. I I, I'm, I don't know if like you've come around on it since we've seen it because it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, no, it, it's still frustrating. But there are parts of it that I do genuinely yeah. appreciate. After I read the interview, I was a little more like, okay, okay, yeah, this is fine. This is. You know, I didn't like it. It's not for me, and it's probably not <clears throat> for a lot of people. But it wasn't the worst movie either of us saw at Heartland. No, no. Listen, uh, compared to the other movie I saw that day, <laughs> it was Citizen Kane. But compared to the other other movie I saw that day, it was Greener Grass. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> greener Grass is it's whatever. It's it, Greener Grass. It's certainly bold and cinematic, but it's just kind of like it's too. It's it's a bit much. It's the film I'm, equivalent to. The David S. Pumpkins bit from Saturday Night Live. There are it a lot, just is. There are a lot of comparisons that you can make to this movie. Maybe that's part of what makes it so great. I don't know. I don't know. But let's move on to, uh, just so we can go continue going back and forth, uh, one of the narrative finalists, or the documentary finalists. Let me flip through my book here, or your book. This is not mine. Oh, wait. Hold on. Wait, is this, is this just in the same spot? Oh, 17 Blocks. Uh, this is a documentary feature, a finalist, uh, directed by Davy Rothbart. In 1999, nine-year-old Emmanuel Sanford Durant and his Washington, D.C. family begin to film their daily lives in America's most dangerous neighborhood, just 17 blocks behind the U.S. Capitol building. They've been filming ever since. Made in a u- unique collaboration with filmmaker and journalist Davy Rothbart, the film focuses on four generations of the Sanford family, including Emmanuel, a promising student, his brother Smurf, a local drug dealer, his sister Denise, an aspiring cop, and his mother Cheryl, who must conquer her own demons for her family to prosper. Spanning two decades, 17 Blocks illuminates a nation's ongoing crisis through one family's raw, stirring, and deep, deeply personal saga. Hmm. This is a really good documentary. It was really fascinating and interestingly done documentary, because... Most of it is footage from the, that the family recorded. A lot of stuff that Emmanuel recorded. It goes between like 
Emmanuel is nine at the start uh, when they start doing the like the documentary stuff, and it goes through like the family, and they they're talking about each other, and it I don't believe it ever cuts to like, or very rarely it uses current narration to explain like members of the family. It always tries to use relevant uh, video that they had, and it tells it uses a whole bunch of like disconnected clips and video to tell a very powerful narrative. Uh, it skips to 10 years later, Emmanuel's 19, graduating graduating high school, going to college, uh, and tragedy. Uh, spoiler, again. Uh, Emmanuel is killed in an act of violence when their house is robbed because, again, this is, as described, this is one of the more violent neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. And at the end of the movie... They dedicate this movie to the victims of uh, violence, of uh, shooting since Emmanuel's death uh, when he was 19. I think it was like 2009. I don't remember. Let's just say that the text is very small and there are a whole lot of names. And it's and you see the first screen, you're like, OK. And then it goes to another screen full of names and then another screen full of names. I'd say each line has maybe like 50 names in it and there are like six lines on screen. Is it political to say that? And then another screen. Have, that we this should not be happening. Full of names. Oh my god. And then another screen full of names. And then another screen <laughs> full of names. And you I heard the audience behind me cuz like we applauded the movie like during the first screen and we kind of just stopped and it just kept showing names. Just infinite amounts of people. Like t- there, there were so many names on there, and it really helps drive home what the story was trying to tell, and what the narrative, like what they were trying to say with it. And it was very, very like the 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 documentary itself. At times, it was very sad, but also at times, it was very heartwarming. Especially when you see like after Emmanuel's death, the family like comes around they realize at that moment that it's like we need they all all of them realize we need to keep like we need to get better we need to improve ourselves we need for him do it for him and it was very very great i i loved it it was of the documentaries i saw it was probably my favorite and that's even over the documentary the last movie we're going to talk about which was the winner of the documentary prize uh but no i really enjoyed this and i would if if it was it was an mtv production as well yeah uh so it's probably gonna get distributed and i would recommend watching it uh so yeah now let's move on to now let's move on to a movie where nobody learns anything and (laughs) running in at 75 minutes like te- I'm gonna, I'm just gonna spoil it now. This was my worst in show. It was you. It was you gave it one of the worst scores we've gotten for a movie on our site in general. Ladies and gentlemen, this is guest artist, directed by Timothy Busfield. Joseph Harris, Jeff Daniels, a legendary but troubled playwright, arrives at a small Michigan town at Christmas time to mount his latest play, greeting the cynical New Yorker as an aspiring writer who challenges his literary hero to be the icon he'd hoped for. Harris wants no part of Michigan, being the young, um, young man's hero or the theater he's come to work with. No sooner than he arrives... <sighs> yeah, yeah. 
Here, I'll, I'll finish it. Yeah, I'll, finish I'll, it. Finish I'll, it. I'll, I'll it. Is, before you compared before you... to most of the like descriptions in this book, this is like. No sooner than he arrives, Harris makes plans to return to New York on the next train out. Desperate and scrambling to keep him in town, the young man must face his hero and explore the tangled relationship between the dreams of youth and the wisdom of age. Father. Listen. Father. Let me put it this way. This is not a phone, Father. (laughs) Tanner, I'm trying to make a point. You cannot. (laughs) Father, as I was saying, after every screening that had a Q and A in it, I usually tried to stay afterwards, try to you know parlay some favor, you know have some light chit chat. Hey, you know yeah, write learn, a review, yeah, learn a little bit. But we saw this in an auditorium. But if I had seen this in a normal movie theater, I can fully assure you that as soon as the, I heard the director is like, "Okay, everybody, stay in. We got the director coming in. He's gonna talk." I was, I would have jumped the railing. I would have jumped the railing, broken my leg, and still stumbled back to the car. Because this movie is... It is so... Um, our editor, editor-in-chief, Jeremy. Yeah, he... God bless who, him. Who recommended us to who see this Who wholly recommended us to see this film. Thank- because he wants us to suffer. And fortunately, we actually both had tickets yeah. to see this. We were both going to see it. Originally, we... Uh, but Jeremy had to go... He had... He had uh, life stuff to deal with so he gave me his ticket to 17 blocks and I went to go see that for him initially Tanner was going to go see this film and review and it I was going to see Greener Grass but much like the mothers in Greener Grass we traded the baby we traded our babies and and I got out of a better deal and guest artist is one of the most infuriatingly just stubborn films I've ever seen in my entire life. It's uh, based on a screenplay, correct? No, it's based off of a real-life incident. A real-life incident this that actually inspired happened. a screenplay? That inspired a play, that inspired yeah. a screenplay. And it talks a lot about the theater. It talks about, like, oh, nobody these days understands the theater. Nobody. Kids don't know what the theater is. They don't. The only person of character in this, this the only person of color in this movie says, I don't like musicals. My girlfriend took me out to go see a musical. It was unnatural how they started singing. And it's like, I I have a hard time talking about this movie yeah, in competent sentences. Yeah, because it is so, it is like, it feels like, you know how, it feels like Green Book but for boomers, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's like if there are any like older people who listen to this podcast. I, I why? Nothing, I, hey, other than my dad, maybe. Other, hey, if, dad, how's it going? Listen, if there are any older people who listen to this podcast, I have nothing personally against you. I have nothing. But there are people out there who insist that younger generations are incompetent stoners who don't know how to crack open a book or light a fire or know how to fend for themselves in this economy. And it's this condescension that reeks in every single frame in all 75 minutes. 75 minutes! Very short. This felt like ages, man. Like, Greener Grass felt like it took forever. It's like, with Greener Grass... That was a long movie. With Greener Grass, at least it gave you something to look at. This is basic... It's like, what's... um, Where we disappear... This was the straight white man equivalent to that, where it's two two guys. Jeff Daniels playing this, you know, your your elder person, whereas the other guy, I don't have his name, or it doesn't list his name in the description. Who cares? His his dramatis personae is effectively Russell from Up, 
And it's like, bless his heart, because this is a cinematic debut. But he is just forced to take the urine and vinegar from Jeff Daniels, at one point smashing his his phone because he won't get off it. Well, not exactly, but with with a rock and to, with a. How about your audience that you were with? Oh, I'm sure, did they hate it as much as you did? No, the they, elderly people. They laughed their butts off. They thought it was great. Mother. I'm, I'm pretty sure I was one of the few people under the age of 21 in that theater. Which it, it happens for Heartland, but but it's like and it's just it is so it it it's it, a lot. It's just. It's 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 to the point where like, and I specifically kind of like sick this move sicked you on this movie because I knew it would specifically piss you off. Uh, so yeah, I'm sorry, no. but no, this is the, uh, from what I understand, this is a boomer movie for boomers. It feels like it's Green Book for old white people. Yeah, it's an old man teaching a young man the 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 finesse of theater, the finest moments, and even then. It, what it culminates on is one of the most gloriously bad tastes climaxes I've ever seen in my yes, entire life. Yes, but what about the soundtrack? I heard it's it has all a- Christmas music. It's all Christmas music. I swear to God, it's all just piano renditions of Christmas music. Uh, it, all royalty free. All royalty free. They literally score the big emotional moment of the movie to a tinkly piano version of "Have a Holly Jolly Christmas." Which, I mean, I, Zulu Summer was a movie where one of the composers was Kevin MacLeod. Yeah. Uh, owner of royalty-free YouTube music. Kevin has standards, man. Yeah, like, but his music was like, it's indis- it was indistinguishable from the original stuff. I mean, it was recognizable because if you're on YouTube at all, you recognize a lot of his music. But, man. This was barely on the standards of, like, lounge music that you just throw on in the background. Hey, nothing wrong with lo-fi. Uh, but, yeah, guest artist, bad. It's, it's, bad. I... Yeah, not, I, w- I was honest, too. I think uh, the only two movies that have gotten this year that have gotten the lower rating than you gave guest artist were Welcome to Marwin and Black and Men in Black International. I think those were the only two other movies... And I'd have to look back. Listen, uh, I've seen both of those movies. I would have given them much higher rank and file than guest artist. That's at least, at least with Men in Black International, there's a metacrum of effort put into it. You know, it's like I've heard all the stories about that movie and how it was, you know, all of the life in that screenplay was just sucked out of it. At least there was something put into it. There was life at, at some least there point. was an idea. At least it was open to a new idea. It wasn't just wallowing in its own filth. It wasn't just... It's boomer filth. It's okay, a, boomer. Yes. Okay. okay, boomer. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we're getting... We're, we've cracked almost an hour now, although it'll probably get cut out because there is a whole section where we're right, fiddling yeah, with the book uh, that will not Father, be in this for... the book. Father, I do not know how to navigate the book. Father, <laughs> where is the control F function for this book? Uh, I hope that's. I hope that sounds awful. <laughs> I hope it sounds as awful as it feels to do that voice. Uh, oh, no. oh, I have a, I have a radio show later, and my throat's gonna be dead. But so let's just try and wrap this up. All right, uh, our last. Minute. I just snapped, and that's gonna sound great on the audio. 
Uh, for Sama, which for Sama. won two awards. It won the winner of the documentary Grand Prize and the Social Impact documentary. It did not win the audience choice. Oh. Uh, I checked that up because I was curious. Uh, the Jump jump Shot won audience. Won, oh, won yeah, the that was the, uh, the movie about old basketball boomer. Okay, boomer. Uh, okay, enough, enough. We got to find it. Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, where, where is it in the book? It, it was a finalist. It was it was a documentary finalist. I didn't find it. The documentary finalist. Uh, it was. It's just like there's only one finalist section here, so it would have been. Okay. Oh, there it is. There yeah. it is. Okay. okay, we found it. For Sama, uh, documentary feature finalist in competition, directed by Waid Agal Katib. I think that's how it's pronounced. My apologies to Waid if you're hearing this, and Edward Watts. <clears throat> for Sama is both an intimate and epic journey into the female experience of war, a love letter from a young mother mother to her daughter. The film tells the story of Waid al-Khatib's uh, life through five years of the uprising in Aleppo, uh, Aleppo, Syria, as she falls in love, gets married, and gives birth to Sama, all while cataclysmic, cataclysmic conflict rises around her. First question, what is Aleppo? Uh, Shoutouts to Gary Johnson. <laughs> we know what Aleppo is. We Aleppo is war torn. Yeah, it's they, and it's, the, like some of those shots they showed of 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 Aleppo. It's like all gray rubble. It looked like for because I have no tact. It looked like a Call of Duty map. Tanner. It looked it looked like war. It looked straight up like war. And this is a civilian area that yeah. they were bombing. Thank you, Russia. Uh, Thanks, Russia, and I don't think we're helping there much either. <laughs> Not at the moment. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't worry about that, though. Worry about Forsama. So, Forsama was another very powerful, uh, and there are, in terms of co- graphic content, Ooh. this was one of the more graphic movies. There, I know I had to look away at sometimes. I think you did as well. Yeah. Uh, there. Are, what, what scene did you look away at? Oh, I don't even... At this point... I distinctly remember at one point they were trying to... Uh, spoilers... Oh, there was oh, there was the, v, the the C section. The C section. The, they had to resuscitate a fetus. Yeah, it was. It was tough to watch. Yeah, and it, the content of it and like the whole story behind it is very powerful, and it's a story that uh, because this was these were collections of tapes from a, an actual journalist who, uh, when they were forced to leave Aleppo. Uh, they went to London, and these tapes were collected and edited together by uh, a doc- the documentary team. And they put her uh, in the Q and A. The director talked about it. He said that they put the, her at the core of the movie because she didn't want to be at the core. She didn't want to be an emotional core. She wanted to focus on the atrocity. Right. But the fact that it has an emotional core makes this movie both. More easy, it makes it easier to stomach and also more powerful. It focuses this the tragic arc of the movie through a mother's regret in how the and in, in the world that's being paved for her daughter. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot to unpack, and there's a whole the uh, Waid and uh, her husband both have a lot of personality. A lot of the people they show in the documentary, they have a lot of personality, too. And it's all like you see these people and you start to, like, really care for them and you feel for them. And then you see these horrible things happen and you just are like, okay, yeah, I get it. I now I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about, too. I can understand why I won the doc, the grand prize for documentary. Oh, no. 
it was in terms of like how it was constructed, how it was directed. It was all like very, very, very powerful. It's Simil- visceral. Yeah, very, very similar to uh, Seventeen Blocks, although to a much like more intense degree. But yeah, it's Force Alma is great. It would, I would I recommend you watch it. Kind of. It's uh, I believe it's coming to PBS. Oh yeah, it is coming to PBS. So yeah, if you, yeah. it's going to be the edited version. Yeah, it's going to be slightly edited down. But I imagine they're going to cut the, out some of the content. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it was it was great. Uh, if, when it comes on PBS, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, very interesting, very great documentary. Uh, understand why it won the documentary grant. Even though I like Seventeen Blocks more. Uh, just because the story hit closer to home for me, because stories about especially sibling relationships have a they 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 specifically target me uh, and stab me. But yeah, I, I I forgot to mention I cried during Seventeen Blocks a whole lot. No, you you did. Oh, I I, I did right. when we talked about it before, but not during the show here. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. But just real quick, because we're we're getting really long here. Best in show. Guest artist. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, this with all its flaws, I feel that Philophobia was the best of the show for me. Mm. Of what I've seen, at least. Yeah. Uh, and I've already said Garden Left Behind, best in show for me. Wonderful, wonderful movie. A very, that's, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And eventually I'll need to unpack my thoughts and do a review for it. It's just going to be tough to do that just because it's like, well, I, how, how do I describe everything to say about it? But it's... It's very good. Very good. Uh, worst in show, Gemini Man. Uh, <laughs> Damn. Don't kid yourself. Uh, worst in show that I saw? Because that's going to be a little harder. I think... Greener Grass? I mean... You know, I'm about I'm about to shock you. What? I'm going to go with Zulu Summer, actually. Oh? Because oh. Greener Grass, even though I did not like it as much, it stands out. Greener Grass, in terms of aiming towards the goal of being something bold and cinematic greener grass stands out in my brain the fact that i can still like vividly remember the scenes in that movie and that we're two weeks out from seeing it is it means something i still remember i still remember some of these the bizarre things the pool water the running gag of pool water being delicious i what, what about twilson it just, it just gets twilson, we- the baby boy it just gets baby weirder ball. and weirder and weirder and it stands out but zulu summer it was like it was a documentary, but it was fine. Nothing amazing. Nothing mind-blowing. It was fine. Yeah. And I think, because I didn't see Guest Artist, so most of my movies, for the most part, uh, were fine. They I, were good. They were well-constructed. I think, in terms of like how my enjoyment, Greener Grass would be at the bottom, but in terms of what will stick with me, Zulu Summer, I think, was the least good not worse, because it was still good. It was just least good. And one final thought on guest artists. Guest artists. It's, worse than show for you, hands down. It's I could it's like as much as I hate saying this, I feel like I I almost want to watch that movie again just so I can unpack everything in clearer detail, just how much of that movie fails to work yeah. on a conceptual mm. level. And who knows, maybe these movies when they get more distributed, uh we might crack into them again for a later episode of Input 2. Maybe. I don't know, especially if they come to streaming. I know, uh, I think Samir's coming to streaming. Uh, they had said that. And uh, I think that uh, Flavio wants to get his movie on streaming for some service. Nice. I, I hope he does. Uh, I don't, 
my 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 good friend Flavio Alves, who I talked to for a total of like ten minutes, but we're we're homies. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I sincerely wish the best for Fink and Davies and all those guys. Yeah. I, I really hope they get what they get, find distributors for these movies. Because, yeah. you know, even for the ones I didn't really like, I still feel that they deserve to be seen mm. for oh. better and for worse. Yep. So, yeah, uh, I think that'll actually wrap us up okay. for this episode of Input 2. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to check us out on ByteBSU.com. Read our reviews, features, news, articles. Watch some of our videos. Uh, Checkpoint. I'm a Checkpoint host, so please check out those Checkpoint episodes. Uh, if you like this podcast, check out our other podcasts on our website or on our SoundCloud page. Follow us on social media at ByteBSU on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Byte Space BSU. Two words. Uh, well, I don't know if there's a space, but it's, it's like my BSU on YouTube. Uh, just, just search us up. And yeah, uh, check back again next week for another episode of Input 2. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>